people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Welcome to another episode of Kidney Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I know everybody in the world has experienced, and it is anxiety. Uh, I think people experience different levels of anxiety, and when you have chronic kidney disease or need dialysis or a transplant, I think your anxiety can increase. So today we're going to really talk about what anxiety is and you know what it feels like and what you can do about it. So today we have Mark Meyer, who is the founder and executive director of the Face It Foundation. It is an organization that you know focuses on the needs of depression and really focuses on men who have depression because it's... Uh, I know a lot of I know a lot of people don't like to talk about their problems and go to the get healthcare and I know men sometimes go to the high part of the list on that topic. And also Mark was a licensed clinical social worker in the dialysis unit for over 18 years. So we have a real expert with us today and welcome to the show Mark. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be on again. It's been a couple of years since I've had a chance to be with you again, Mari. Well, you know, Mark, tell us a little bit about anxiety. You know, what is it? How what do people experience and how do they you know, even know you're having anxiety? Sure, sure. Well, I, and I think you hit on some of the 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 important points to begin with is that we all have anxiety. There are certain events in our life that produce anxiety, and that's an, that's a normal thing. It's it's normal to be nervous about um, you know going to see your doctor. It's certainly I don't care how long you're on dialysis. I think people get nervous each time some you know when they go to have a treatment. Anxiety becomes a disorder or a a dysfunction when it starts to dominate and control your life and start to take over so that you find you have such fear and dread that you no longer can engage or or even think about uh, trying activities, new activities, old activities, etc. No, I know. I, I've, I've experienced a couple of anxiety attacks in my life, and, it, you know, you feel like you're having a heart attack. There's different types of anxiety. We, we, we list them out under anxiety disorders, and there's there's panic attacks, there's obsessive compulsive disorder, there's generalized anxiety. And, you know, we talk a lot, I mean, I run an organization focused on depression, and we sure, we sure give a, a lot of attention to depression, but the reality is, is that anxiety is the, if you look at it from a clinical standpoint, anxiety affects far more people than any other mental health issue in this, in this country. Probably, probably in the 18 to 19% of Americans experience significant anxiety. And and like you said, one one type of anxiety is a panic attack. And and for anybody who's ever had one, you you do you feel like you're dying of a heart attack. You you feel as though your um, the world is is caving in on you, and you have rapid heartbeat and shallow breathing. And um, it's just that it's a panic attack. It's not it's not real. And most anxiety, particularly anxiety disorders, it's it's not based on reality. Um, again, when you when you think about let's test anxiety, that's something we talk about all the time for people who are in school. If a big exam coming up, it's it's perfectly normal and natural that you would have some 
apprehension, some anxiety, you know, and sometimes they even talk about before a big game or something, you get butterflies in your stomach or any kind of big event. That sort of anxiety is probably in some ways good for you. It, it, it encourages you to prepare yourself and to be ready. However, when you start to have things like panic attacks, so suddenly this exam that you have to go sit for um, <clears throat> feels like, boy, if I don't pass this thing, my whole world is going to fall apart and, and, and I'll never be able to graduate and suddenly I will never find a job and now I'm going to be homeless. And you can just get yourself so whipped up that suddenly reality is, is really not part of, of the equation any longer. No, I, re- I was just reminded of a story about my mom when she had to go get her driver's license at the DMV list. And for weeks before, she would just, I mean, be stressed out about taking that test, about that written test. I mean, it was all she could think about. And I think that was, <laughs> that's an example when anxiety is taking over your life, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and when I think about, you know, when you think about anxiety like that, like, for, for example, some signs and symptoms of, so generalized anxiety disorder is, is a pretty, you know, it's one of the more common types of anxiety disorders that people suffer from. And let's put that in the context of living with untreated generalized anxiety disorder and trying to manage something as complex as as kidney disease. So somebody with um, generalized anxiety disorder, the things that they suffer from are, you know, they can't control their worries. Um, They worry quite a bit every day about a lot of things. Um, They know they worry more than they should, but they can't control it. It's, It's difficult to concentrate. You can't relax. It impacts your sleep. It impacts your ability to eat. Um, you feel tired. And so, as you can imagine, if you have this anxiety disorder on top of the complexities of trying to manage kidney disease, it compounds the problem. And I will tell you from my own work in, in researching and trying to you know, help get depression and anxiety elevated to people's attention in kidney disease, we talk very, very little about anxiety disorders in individuals with kidney disease. Well, you know, I was thinking about some of the hot spots of as, you know, as a person who's had kidney disease for many years where I know that I were hot spots where I know I would have anxiety. And, you know, just going through the list is, okay, starting dialysis or having to go to to dialysis, especially having to start again after having a transplant. I mean, just the idea of having to do that for people who, you know, have never been on dialysis, just starting dialysis. I mean, that's a huge uh, window of when you're going to have the anxiety. Another one is needles. I mean, needles, I mean, I know for myself, um, when I had uh, an access and it would kept infiltrating. Um, one time it infiltrated and I had to have go into surgery and have that fixed. And then they're like, well, we need to stick that access again. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, it was horrific. And I know a lot of patients just have anxiety about the needles. Another one is just surgery, like going into surgery. Am I going to come out okay? And I, I think the older you get, and I don't know if you maybe have some, you know, on this, but when I was younger, I, I thought I was a little bit more indestructible. <laughs> and the older you get, I think you're more prone to anxiety because you realize that, you know, did I use up all my lives? <laughs> um, how many um, how many chances do I get? And so do you see that in older or just, you know, somebody over 30 may have more anxiety than somebody who's younger when it comes to healthcare, or maybe it was just me? Well, you know, I, I, I can't honestly say that I know the, the data on that, but here's following with your line of thinking. Do you have more anxiety, or as you become older, do you just realize there's more that can go wrong? And, and I think you have learned, certainly, and many people who, you know, anybody who's on dialysis has probably had a 
fairly long experience with, with the medical profession. And I think you start to realize that, okay, things, just because my doctor said everything will be fine, you maybe know that that's not always the case, and, and you, you tend to think about it and, and worry about it more. You know, I think the difference between having sort of normal, natural anxiety in the face of, uh, for example, having to have surgery or going to dialysis or, or having needle sticks is that you can calm yourself, you can tell yourself it will be okay, and you can proceed. What happens oftentimes with people who have severe anxiety or anxiety disorders is, and I think there's a big part of this that's associated with non-adherence, is people will suddenly start avoiding those situations. They know they need surgery. They know they need their access to be um, uh, uh, taken care of, but yet their anxiety is so severe and so significant that they can't bring themselves to make the appointment. They can't bring themselves to go to the vascular uh, surgery center. Um, they can't even bring themselves to go to dialysis. And right. And I, and I think that we do such a disservice to people when we minimize anxiety. What, and they say you're noncompliant, and they're like, uh, well, I'm doing the best I can. You know, it's like you label them as not showing up, but literally they're having a, a, a anxiety breakdown. <laughs> and, and you've experienced panic attacks, and I talk very openly about my own battles with depression, and along with depression comes anxiety. Until you've experienced a significant bout of anxiety, it's tough to express to people just how frightened, how scared, how certain you are that every possible thing that could go wrong is going to go wrong, and so you flee. And, and I think that that often gets lost in our dialysis centers because, like you said, it's, it's far easier to just label a patient and blame the patient and say, see, they don't care, they're noncompliant, they don't show up, they, they're not invested in their health care, rather than recognizing just how... Uh, catastrophically paralyzing anxiety really can be. Well, I was thinking one of the moments that causes a lot of anxiety for me is when either the transplant center or the doctor calls and I miss the call and they say, you know, call me back. And they called me at Friday at 4.30. Or, you know, I always encourage, you know, please say, hey, it's not urgent to call me back unless it's urgent. You know, because they're like, oh, this is your transplant center. Call us, you know, and you're like, oh, what happened? Did I miss a kidney? Did I do this? Did I do this wrong? Did I did I not qualify for the transplant? Did they kick me off? What happened? You know, that can cause a lot of anxiety. And what are the things I think that is important for people to understand? I know that this was difficult is sometimes when I would go to social environments and, you know, you know that you're going to get in trouble if you eat certain foods and there's a whole food you know, prepared with all kinds of foods you can't eat. And for myself, I learned that I would eat before I go. But, you know, you're sitting there, you're anxious, like, I really want that cheese ball. <laughs> and I know that I can't have it. And is that anxiety? Or is that just being, you know, spoiled and, you know, that you can't have everything you want? Well, I, I, I well, let's first and foremost, I, I think that, um, you know, this notion that people who, uh, you know, should just except that they have to have restricted diets. That, that always comes from people who don't have to have a restricted diet, of course. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think, you know, there is social anxiety and, and social phobia. And those are, you know, those are usually people who are really anxious about being in groups and are self-conscious and, you know, are constantly worried that people are going to be judging them and they stay away from places where there, there are people. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's anxiety as much as that's your own guilt and, and trying to figure out that, that balance of what can I have versus what can't I have. And, and you know, I, I think that, again, when, when you live with kidney disease and you, you can't drink or eat without constantly being bombarded with somebody's message, whether it's the nurse or the dietitian in, in their very well-meaning intentions, 
But in your head, you're constantly hearing, can't have that, can't have that, can only have this, can only have this amount, you know. And, and so I think that that's, you know, that's learning how, more than anxiety, I think that's learning how to balance and be comfortable with the way you manage your disease. Right. No, because it is, I think it's so misunderstood. And, you know, maybe we can share a little bit about what are some tips that people with kidney disease can do and, you know, their family members, and then most importantly, healthcare professionals. I think there's a number of things. First and foremost, for very, very serious and significant anxiety, um, short-term, short-acting medications are an option. And, and obviously, I'm not a physician, but you can talk to your doctor. And, and for individuals who are experiencing things like panic attacks or, or having such significant anxiety that they can't sit in the chair, and, and for anybody who, who has anxiety, I, I've thought of this myself, and I'm obviously not a, 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 a dialysis patient. If you have any sort of anxiety disorder, this notion that you're going to be tethered to a machine with needles in your arms for three to four hours, maybe even longer, I mean, that's like torture to somebody who has anxiety. So medications should be, should be looked at in, you know, sometimes in the short run. Some of the uh, antidepressants that are on the market um, have uh, uh, qualities or, or have FDA approval to treat anxiety. So medication is one opportunity. Um, from a patient standpoint, there are things you can do. You can learn breathing. You know, when we have anxiety, and, and Lori, think about when you've had a panic attack, one of the first things you do is you start shallow breathing. You don't get in enough oxygen. That in and of itself increases your heart rate. That elevates your anxiety. Teaching yourself how to deep breathe, and, and it, it takes practice because at the moment, uh, let's, let's talk about the needle. The moment they're about to insert that needle, if you're not deeply engaged in this in and out breathing, trying to calm yourself, by the time that needle gets ready to come in and you're, you're shallow breathing, it's, anxiety is, is going to be taking hold. Um, for families, it's really important to understand that anxiety is real and that it really can be disabling, and it makes people um, make decisions that don't make sense. I mean, every dialysis patient knows they should go to dialysis, and they should get their full treatment. They should get the best treatment they possibly can. But again, when you're convinced that every possible bad thing, including your own death, is going to happen, well, then it makes sense to you to not go to dialysis and family doesn't see that. Healthcare providers don't always recognize that. And then we start to blame people and say, you don't care, you're not invested. Um, and I think, you know, that, that's, that's my advice to healthcare providers as well is you need to understand what anxiety is. And there's a, um, there's a tool called the GAD-7. Um, and basically what that is, is it's an anxiety screening tool. Very simple screening tool that much like any depression screening tool can be uh, uh, given to patients and we can get a sense of who's, who's struggling with anxiety. Well, I know for myself when um, I felt anxious or I knew something was happening uh, that I was worried about, like waiting for a result or waiting about, you know, am I going to get, um, you know, listed on the transplant list or whatever the issue may be, is I would engage in an activity, a creative activity. I would take my body and literally sit down and start making something. I know just getting out and walking or going and doing something would help relieve anxiety. And you, you sometimes at the moment, it's just like breathing. You don't know all the things you can do. What you're doing is, is you're distracting yourself. The if you, have a, if you have an issue as serious as, am I being listed for a transplant? Am I going to be getting a transplant? You know, I have to go get my uh, access taken care of. When you have serious issues like that in front of you, and you sit and focus and perseverate and ruminate, you're just going to whip yourself up into, into more anxiety. And so absolutely, um, 
talking to people, you know, and, and people, we, we often hear, well, what good does it do to talk about my problems? Well, it does a lot of good. And, and activities, like you just said, engaging in, in some sort of art or craft or whatever it is you enjoy, exercise, anything that you can do to distract yourself is off, not anything, let me, let me clarify that, but anything healthy <laughs> you can do to distract yourself is often a good thing. You know, one of the things, too, is that um, this morning a friend of mine called who had to go get a test. She had a stress test done and it didn't, you know, she, she needs to go back and do other things. And she just called and you could tell she was like anxious about going and having another test done and I said and it was a different type of test and I said oh I've had that test done it's not as bad as they make it sound <laughs> and sometimes yeah just talking like letting somebody else know that you know I had this happen it's not that bad so well, I and think a lot that's... of anxiety is, is it can be caused by that that fear of the unknown and if you can explain to somebody you know medical professionals I think in in the busyness of their day and and sort of the routine they get into of, of constantly explaining procedures I don't know that they always give enough credence or time to really helping people understand what they're going to do. We healthcare professionals make the assumption that if I said it once, you understood it, and and the reality is is that sometimes you need other people. And I think that I think that's where the value of peer support comes in. I think that talking to other people who have been through what you've been through mm-hmm. that can alleviate a great deal of anxiety. Exactly. I mean, you know, I talk to patients all the time that are worried about getting a transplant because they think the meds are going to make them sick. And, you know, you just, you know, say, yeah, there's always a risks of, of some things, but the majority of people I know don't have those problems. And, you know, you give them general information and it just eases their fear because, you know, and I think this has been discussed a lot, but I have this committee in my head. Oh my goodness. It can just, you know, take off and come up with all kinds of scenarios and just run rapid. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how to make them be quiet until I talk to somebody else. And then they help me put that committee in line to not make me crazy. That that committee is often very inaccurate, isn't it? It, it is. And it's, you know, it's, it's crazy how, you know, you sit in a room and you're upset, especially when you're, you know, you, you have to see so many doctors and healthcare professionals. You have a lot of free time sitting in the lobby. And I always try to bring something to do. Um, you know, now we have cell phones, so we can pretty much do whatever we want on a cell phone in a lobby. But keeping yourself occupied while you're waiting, I mean, because waiting can cause anxiety. I know for me, because I, I have to think, well, you know, my time's not valuable. They obviously see, so I must not be valuable. <laughs> And, uh, um, you know, after you wait for a while. And so it's always good to bring activities to prepare for these unexpected anxiety moments. I I think you're absolutely right. And and I think that, you know, one of the special challenges of living with a chronic disease, particularly something like kidney disease, is it becomes such a um, prominent aspect of your life. You know, you're at least in the dialysis clinic three days a week. As you've said, there's multiple routine, you know, multiple trips to the physician. Unfortunately, there's trips to the hospital. Sometimes you've got to figure out, and I don't know how to do this. I, I'm not a dialysis patient, but how, how, have you, how have you taken a vacation from your disease? Because when you do get so surrounded by it, it takes over people's lives. Right. You can't even have a meal without thinking about your illness. And that's what's so different about other illnesses. I mean, I, I've had friends that have a cancer. I don't want to dismiss that cancer isn't a difficult disease and life-threatening. But the, the food aspect causes a lot of anxiety for patients. You know, just the aspect of, you know, going to Starbucks. I mean, that can be, you know, oh, my God, am I going to want the mocha? 
<laughs> and am I going to get in trouble and my phosphorus is going to make me itch and, you know, on and on. But, uh, you know, Mark, thank you so much. I think, you know, this topic is really important. I mean, we could probably go on and on about it. But so maybe just if patients are feeling anxious out there, I think, you know, the first course is to talk to their doctor, you know, let their healthcare professionals know and, you know, call up a friend. I mean, and talk to them about it. Um, anything else you would like to add? I, I think those are good points, and, and, and I, I would just like to add to anybody who's struggling with anxiety is that it is a very real condition, and it, it, it feels made up in your head, and I understand that a lot of that gets driven by your thoughts, but what you're experiencing is very real, and it's very important that you, you get help, and that there is a lot of things that can be done to help relieve that, that feeling of constantly being on edge. So I, I'm just very appreciative and, and grateful for you for bringing up this topic, Lori, because it is so very important. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been great to discuss this with you and help bring information to the community and hopefully people will address this issue so they can have the best life possible because every day is so precious when you have an illness you don't want to waste one moment feeling anxious take care we can control our own destiny we can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options we can form partnerships with our health care team we can take steps towards self-improvement we can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family we can sing dance laugh and enjoy our lives we can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 